Hi there, and welcome back to the Energy Sector Heroes podcast. My name is Michelle Fraser, and every week I will speak with incredible people who share their lessons, experiences, and stories from their time spent in the energy sector. Hi there, and welcome back again to this week's episode. If you're new to the show, then please take a second to subscribe and even consider sharing the show with just one other person. This week, I am joined by Richard Drennan. Richard is an incredible director at Viewport 3 and a specialist in 3D scanning for the subsea sector. Richard, would you like to introduce yourself, please? Yes, thank you very much. My name's Richard. As you pointed out, I am one of two co-founders at Viewport 3 with a background in the subsea control arena for subsea engineering. So... How did you get started off in the energy sector? I started off in the energy sector by working as a labourer at a company at the time was called Caverna FSSL. I made friends with a couple of the bosses there. The guy in charge of the electronic side of things noticed that I had uh, good results from from my school days on on, uh, technical subjects. And uh, in something comparable to great expectations, I think he bet himself that he could turn me into a technician. So they offered me a traineeship. And yeah, from there, I worked as an onshore technician and then an offshore technician. I came back to supervise the workshop for a couple of years. I then moved into engineering, project management, and finally tendering at that particular company. And then I went to work for an operator for a few years before starting Viewport 3. Okay. That's a huge jump from a labourer to where you are now. <laughs> well, we do what we need to. Okay, but how did you manage it, though? Um, I think attitude has a lot to do with it. I, I had a very keen can-do attitude. I was easy to get along with. I think I maybe had natural people skills, whereas some people in technical professions don't always have that. I was not phased by talking to the bosses. I was respectful to everyone that I dealt with. And I think that they saw that I was perhaps the type of person that they liked, but without the necessary skills or technical knowledge. So they worked hard to to give me all the technical knowledge that I needed. So did you find it hard then, not having a technical background before to pick it up? Was it quite easy, did you find yeah, I, I don't find technical subjects difficult um, to pick up. I just need to be shown what we're doing, why we're doing it, and I will pretty much um, fill in the rest of it myself. It's always come quite naturally to me. Okay. Sounds amazing. And an amazing accomplishment, actually. Very kind of you. Thank you. So who was your role model and why did you find them inspirational? My role model was a woman that was my boss for well, probably close to five or six years. She also started in a lowly role. She started working as a rentals coordinator. She's still with that company. And at the moment, she is senior vice president for Asia and Africa, if I remember correctly. So I, from that, I took the fact that it does not matter where you start. What matters is um, what you're capable of. And there's no ceiling above you. Okay, no, that is really amazing advice. And you've obviously used that advice throughout your career. Yeah, yes, mostly throughout my career. I 
as a young worker, you know, up until my early twenties, I, I worked with a, you know, in a sort of a boy's attitude. You work for beer tokens and you enjoy yourself at the weekend. But when I found out I was going to have a baby daughter, there is a little bit of a, a flicking of the switch whereby you realise that you have an actual job now and your job is to is to help put bread on the table. Yeah, I agree. So did you have any mentors during your career and what was the most important thing that they taught you? Yeah, so the the, the, the lassie that I mentioned, uh, Karen, was her name. I What I learned from her was that your ability to deal with people uh-huh. and deal with them calmly was probably more important than how good you were at your job, particularly if you're in a managerial role. You're not the person that's going to sit down there and do the work. You're the person that's going to instruct somebody to sit down there and do the work. So I very, especially in the business environment, as I got moved up into the office, um, I realized that the way you deal with people is probably the most important part of your career. And, uh, you know, we've all, we all know engineers that are technically amazing, but, uh, yeah, don't progress because they're, they're not big fans of people. <laughs> okay. So what is the most challenging thing about your current role and how do you handle it? The uh, challenging thing about the current role, I would say, is being able to service our customers like a big company, even though we are not a big company. We are very proud of the long list of customers that we have, um, all the way from operators to to most marine engineering uh, contractors. Mm. And all of our competitors are huge multi-million pound businesses. And from a personal point of view, I find it very satisfying to beat them (laughs) if we're in a competitive tender. Okay. Do you think you have to be competitive to stay to stay in competition with the big players? It's certainly technically competitive. You, If you do not provide the results that you said you would provide, you will not get back to the table. It, it's very easy. We've seen a couple of companies do this where they make all sorts of promises, you know, in their literature, etc. But once you're offshore, if you manage to talk the customer into that, your turn on stage will come. And you need to be able to deliver all the things that you've promised. That's been always been our focus, is only promising things we know we can deliver and then doing our best to do exactly that. We also get a lot of compliments on our technical reports. We take very complex 3D data sets, sometimes very complex technical issues, and explain them in a way that everyone should be able to understand. Okay, because that is really hard to do, to do, actually. You must rely on your engineering background to do that, though. Yeah, it, it's something that I've always taken quite naturally to, is explaining things to people. I, I like a good analogy. And I think if, if you struggle to help someone understand a technical subject, at least from an overview level, then you're probably not the right person to be teaching them that. Yeah, there's one other person that's actually said that to me as well. So I do, there is some truth, there is a lot of truth in that. So I just wondered, what what do you prefer? Do you prefer the engineering part or do you prefer the managerial part working in the... I, 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 I like it all and I think I probably need it all. 
I love to be in the workshop working on research and development. I love to be mobilizing uh, jobs, getting ready to go offshore. But everything gets tiring after a while. So I also really enjoy tendering. One of my uh, influencers, I guess, throughout my career was was my boss when I was at tendering, a gentleman called Simon. And uh, yeah, I, I really enjoy that I can be discussing finance with our business manager in the morning, commercials with a customer a bit later on, and then have a, a very technical, nerdy afternoon looking at data sets and electronics. Okay, so you still get to do everything then? Because a lot of directors are more or less hands-off. Yeah, so I don't like to, to sort of let things go let, like, let things go by on their own. So we have a couple of research and development contracts uh, or, or projects, should I say. And we've recently taken on a, a gentleman to help us with that because I, I obviously can't just sit and do that the whole time. But it's really important to me that he understands not only what we're trying to do, but why we're trying to do it. Make sure he knows that he's got our support. And I, I don't know, just from the, the type of personality that I have, I wouldn't be comfortable introducing a product that I didn't understand top to bottom. Okay. So you're quite a really small team then of people that you have. Yes, we are a team of four, five, five permanent employees. And on the offshore side of things, we have a, a range of contractors that we can call upon from uh, from different parts of the world. But okay. uh, yeah, a, a very strong core team that runs the business day to day. And then when we go offshore, we obviously need additional bodies. So we're very lucky to have some uh, trusted contractors to help us with that. Okay, excellent. So is there a, that will lead nicely onto the next question. Is there anything else that you want to really achieve in your career? I'm not a forward-looking kind of guy, um, as much as it might be um, surprising to hear. I am a firefighter. I, I deal with what's in front of us. But in terms of what we want from the business, we are making quite a few pivots this year. We're working very hard to bring some inspection products to the market. So that's going to take um, quite a bit of focus. Obviously, the other arms of the business is where the money comes from to pay for that type of research and development. So, yeah, we, we, we deal with it. We deal with the challenges that are in front of us. And it's only more recently that we've started to, to, to take a step back from being very busy and say, right, what do we want the company to look like in a couple of years' time? What, what additions can we make that will be the best plan for the business? Okay, so how do you go about achieving what you want to, or even just focus on what you want to achieve in the next maybe two to five years? It, it mostly comes from being able to do the things that we currently do better. So we're very focused on 3D scanning, but you have to work within the realms of the equipment that's available to you. So for example, last year we developed a camera to go down a well which at the point of work was only 13 inches in diameter. So it's a very small space to try and get a camera and also to achieve focus. So that was something that we knew to be a challenge. We were lucky enough to have a customer that was happy to pay us to develop that system. And the rest of the developments that we've got in, in our pipeline, so to speak, are, are related to challenges that we haven't been able to overcome with equipment that's currently available. So rather than say, well, you know, there isn't no such product, so it can't be done. We are now taking the attitude of, well, let's make the product. It's very important to us that 
our results produce value to the customer. So it's all driven by the types of things that they need. And if we come across a problem that's difficult to solve maybe two or three times, then that would go onto the research and development board to say, is there anything we can do about this? And if we think there is, we get to work on it. Okay, that sounds amazing. So what is the... I was going to ask you, what is the most difficult, or I was going to say, what is the hardest problem that you've had to work on? One of our very first jobs, to be quite honest with you, um, I think it was probably our only our second or third offshore job. We were asked, uh, we were invited in to see a, a, an operator, and they said, you know, we've had three companies, or four I think it was actually, that have come in here and told us they can 3D scan some mooring links. Every single one of them has failed, and we're only going to give it one more try. Now, scanning a mooring link is not a particularly difficult thing to do, but the links in question were inside a hose pipe. If you're not familiar, that is just basically a trumpet-shaped sleeve that the mooring line exits out of. And a characteristic of that hose pipe was grinding material off of the mooring line, which is obviously a huge problem. And the companies that came before us, they tried to use their normal equipment and, um, or things that they could hire off the shelf to, to achieve these results. And we knew that wasn't the right way to go about it. So we essentially, over a course of about six weeks, I believe it was, we developed a system whereby the diver could get a very small camera right up inside the, um, the horse pipe, take the images that, that we needed, and... Uh, yeah, that was a, a very difficult thing to do, especially when you're doing it in front of the client for the first time. And it was it was very interesting stuff. And then we got into quite a long conversation with the customer and the certifying authority, who was uh, Lloyd's Register, about how we demonstrate the results that we found. Because the customer was under an instruction, essentially, if you can't show us how damaged these mooring links are, then we will simply insist that you change them out which they, for obvious reasons they wanted to try and avoid if it was if it was safe to do so. Okay. Have you ever had to deliver bad news to a client? And how did you go about doing that? A, a lot of our work uh, constitutes bad news, but I don't think that we're usually the company that delivers that. Okay. They usually know there's a problem. So if I could, if I could give an example, um, we were contracted by a Dutch company last year the fact that the first job that we'd done for them, maybe some of your listeners will recognize the story that a, a boat in the Dutch sector had hit a platform and the captain abandoned the vessel, leaving it to go around hitting more platforms. Our customer were, were talking with, with a company who had recently put down a jacket but hadn't installed the substation yet when one of the main legs was hit by this vessel. So that's a problem in, in, in and of itself. But the barge that was going to lift on the substation had already been mobilized. It was not a good time to have um, any delays in the project. So we didn't provide a report that told them the leg was bent. They already knew it was bent. Our job was to tell them how bent it was. So we provided a 3D data set. They sent that to their structural engineers. They were able, from our report, to understand exactly the size and shape of the deflection. 
And I think they responded to our customer within a couple of days saying, this is fine, it's superficial. So uh, carry on and install the substation, which with the lift barge on higher was obviously hugely important to them. 